The bell's rung, and welcome to another edition of the Icon Showdown Podcast. I'm your trusty host, Enan Hannigan, and today we're going to be looking at two horror films from the year 2012. As we do in the Icon Showdown Podcast, we like to pit creative works against one another in a particular category, and as it stands for October of 2019, we are pinning mainstream horror against one another. So tonight's uh, combatants are sinister... Uh, which turned out to be a way better movie than I had ever anticipated, and I hadn't seen it prior to watching it yesterday for the sake of the show, as well as The House at the End of the Street, which also has its merits. Um, So as we do in this show, we're going to go ahead and break it down in terms of criteria, that criteria being the antagonist, the ensemble, the surviving characters, the setting, the deeper meanings, as well as the fright factor, We also like to start with the film that was released first in the year. So as it stands, we have Sinister here as a October 12th release. And it would appear that House at the End of the Street was released on September 21st. So let's go ahead and start talking about the antagonist in House at the End of the Street. And I love this title. I think it's a great title. I think it's reminiscent of old school horror titles. So I really appreciate that. In terms of the antagonist, we ultimately have two. One could argue the whole family. Um, You have the actor who is the brother in the Norman Bates TV series, uh, Max Thoreau. He's great. I like him. Uh, And you could argue that he is really the seed that causes the trauma. Um, Granted, he has two parents that are addicts that make them, him and his sister, the way that they are. Uh, But he takes it to the next level. As it stands, we do have his sister as the one that murders their parents, but their parents sort of have it coming, and that they are these essentially freebasing crack addicts um, from what we are are shown in the film. Then she kills the parents. He goes ahead and hides her away from the world in the basement. She is still maniacal. She has brain damage because she fell off a swing and he was supposed to be watching her, but he was just a child. And ultimately her parents were getting high while uh, what happened to her happened to her. So we have this just like domino effect of calamity. Addictive parents led to two children that are Full of woe, one being brain damaged and the other one ultimately having to take care of the brain damaged murderous daughter and having to kill on his own to protect her. Um, The motivations involved, well, the daughter, you could argue, is just ruined. She doesn't know what's up or down and is murderous. She's known for just breaking stuff, so she breaks people too. In the way that she bludgeons her parents with a hammer. Um, It's reminiscent of a zombie scene. The way that she is so tenacious about it. His motivations. One would assume is a love of his sister. Potentially wanting to uh, withhold the stake in the house. That he has access to because of the inheritance. Uh, He's keeping her in the basement of the house that was his parents. So one could argue that there is a financial motive here as well for him Uh, he seems pseudo likable enough granted our main character here our our final girl Alyssa does sort of fall for him Um, and one could say that he is likable enough to 
get her on his side to really be caring for his sister but in the end he does kidney stab the sheriff so it's really hard to care about ryan jacobson's character played by max thoreau um the aesthetic we got a normal dude we got a normal chick you the the uh ultimately that his sister just has hair in her face it's nothing super unique there um, the aesthetic is not notable. Vocalizations are not notable. The originality of a young girl having brain damage and murdering people, all right, maybe. I can't say on the top of my head that I've seen that before. A protective brother of his deranged sister. Maybe there's derivatives of that, but I will give it points in terms of the originality because I did like that there was this crazy familial bond um, that superseded the romantic bond. Um, that's rare. Um, for it to pop over to Sinister, which was the first time I saw it, and I don't know how this movie escaped me. So I freaking loved it. Our villain here is the Boogeyman. It is the Boogeyman. Um, this character is responsible for eating children. Bagul is his like ancient name his uh pagan demon name um he's the eater of children and the way he eats children is fascinating and that he ultimately gets one child per family to murder the rest of the family unknowingly or knowingly either way the way that they do it is always horrific it is always effective um uh the fact that each incident is filmed with a Super 8 camera, and then the next victimized family usually is subjected to that. That footage is great um, in a horrific way. It's really unique. I really appreciate Bagul, Mr. Mr. Boogie, um, and I love his aesthetic. It's like the ghost faced in Scream, if that was scary, if that face was scary this is the ultimate ghost face instead of a ghost face we're talking about a demon face here same sort of silhouette same sort of um hollowed out black eyes with a white face around it and the black mouth but the way that this is shaped is a thousand times scarier mr boogie is an amazing horror character and it makes me want to watch the sequel which i haven't seen because i hadn't i haven't seen this till yesterday and i was super impressed with it so in terms of antagonist, I'm impressed, and I feel like it's super original. The way that he can only kill a family after they've lived in the house of the previous victims and moved on to a new house. He essentially is corrupting additional spaces in a way we don't see in like Poltergeist. He's not attached to any specific spot. He's more attached to this weird sort of transient spell that I love. I thought it was great. Um, so if we're going to give pentagrams to the house at the end of the street, the psychotic sister with brain damage, and then her brother, who turns out to be a nutball himself, go ahead and give that a 2. And I'm going to give a 3.52 sinister because Mr. Boogie is up there in the echelon of scary characters. I was really impressed with him. Let's move on to the ensemble. Uh, within House at the End of the Street, you have Jennifer Lawrence. You have Elizabeth Shrew. You have some really strong characters, even Max Thoreau from um, the Norman Bates TV show. For some reason, it's Bates Motel. Uh, he's great. 
they're all pretty good in this. There's no one that sucks super hard, with maybe the exception of um, the boy that's trying to hit on Jennifer Lawrence at the pool, um, and then kind of gets a little rapey on her at the at the party. Didn't love him. Didn't think he was great. Didn't think his mom was great either. It's certainly a ding in terms of the cast as a whole. But I did like Jennifer Lawrence in this. I don't think she's the best actress in the world, but I think she's great as a whole. I love Elizabeth Shue. I thought she played a terrific maternal character. I love that she's dipping into the genre pieces as she's moved on to the boys nowadays. She's great. Um, and then Gil Bellows is the officer. Also awesome. He's very recognizable. Somebody that you want to root for, even though he gets kidney stabbed. Uh, in terms of the dynamics that are set forth, I didn't hate them. I thought they were good enough. I didn't necessarily care enough about the antagonist to care about the dynamics of the protagonists. That's the biggest deal there. I did think they did sufficient work in terms of the mother-daughter relationship. Nevertheless, it wasn't anything super unique. You have the father that was the rock star who's no longer in the picture, and Jennifer Lawrence now loves to sing and play music herself. Not anything super new. Nevertheless, at least they try to create a dynamic there. And then, of course, Elizabeth Shue and Gil Bellow's pseudo-romance between the doctor and the cop was okay, but forced, if you ask me. I, I, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I was neutral toward it. So when we're talking about, again, an ensemble pentagram, probably give it a two, even though I'm getting ahead of myself, only because I loved the ensemble in Sinister so much. You have two really strong kid actors. You have Vincent D'Onofrio, who's only seen through Skype, essentially, is Professor Jonas, who knows all about the cult, a cult, and is able to explain to Ethan Hawke what the hell he's dealing with, with Bagul. Bagul itself is such a great name. I was I bought in. Um, the fact that you have the daughter watching these home videos of all these families that were killed unbeknownst to everyone else, because ultimately in the end, our, our real big bad is the daughter, um, played by Claire Foley, I believe. Uh, amazing job. She's super scary. Uh, she ultimately goes on to play... Uh, Poison Ivy as a child in Gotham. She's good. She's great, actually. Uh, I thought she played a uh, really memorable villain beyond Bagul, because ultimately she's a puppet of Bagul and does it well. Ethan Hawke, always great. I wasn't super familiar with his wife, um, Juliet Rance. Apparently she's in The Nick and McMafia. I hadn't seen her, I don't think, before this. I liked her. I didn't love her again. I thought she was sufficient for the role. I didn't necessarily buy the chemistry between them as much as I think would have helped. Um, and another secondary character that really stood out to me was James Ransone as Deputy So-and-So. We actually don't get his full name in this, which is kind of funny. He's just Deputy So-and-So, and he's the one that's helping Ethan Hawke sort of figure out what's going on in terms of this pattern of murder and how Bagul works. He's the one that kind of relays that in the end, right before Ethan Hawke and his wife and his son get murdered by his daughter. I thought that was really great. I liked everybody in this, with the exception of maybe 
Uh, uh, no one actually. There's no one that's really pissed me off in this one. I was I was satisfied. Um, the worst actor is probably Deputy So and So, but he wasn't even that bad. He was supposed to be kind of a bashful, silly, goofy cop. Uh, made a cop character sympathetic for once. So I'm going to give him credit on that, and I'm not going to talk down anybody on this one. Um, so if we're going to go ahead and give pentagrams to this, if I were to give House at the End of the Street the two, again, I'm going to give this cast, this ensemble, a three. Already we have Sinister taking the lead here. Uh, if we're going to move on to surviving characters, uh, ultimately, in House at the End of the Street, we do have multiple surviving characters. Jennifer Lawrence lives. Elizabeth Shue, her mother, lives. Uh, they both deal with some shit, but it's not that horrific. It is not that troubling in terms of the grand scheme of things in horror. Um, she shoots Max Thoreau. Her means of escape is not that notable. Um, and uh, I just wasn't really impacted by how the movie wrapped up. If I'm completely honest with you. But in Sinister, nobody survives. And that's going to probably hurt them in terms of the ding. But with the exception of the daughter who gets eaten by Bagul in a metaphoric sense, she doesn't die theoretically, but he carries her off into the movie, into the digital space, which is interesting. I really love the way they play up how Bagul lives through his um, media representations. He doesn't live without having been captured uh, by camera or video camera. Or even drawing. So I found that really interesting. Um, the means of escape is kind of moot in this one because as much as they thought by leaving that initial house where they were haunted mattered, it didn't. And it actually led to their being murdered quicker, which I loved. Um, but when we are talking about final characters, we really don't have final characters in Sinister in the same way we have it in House at the End of the Street. So that is going to hurt it. I'm going to go ahead and give... House at the end of the street. Another two. I feel like I've been giving it a two across the board. I didn't hate Jennifer Lawrence's character. I didn't think it was that fleshed out, that worth rooting for. And I liked her mom. I thought her mom, actually, Elizabeth Shue's character was more developed. And, uh, and I don't know. I cared about her more. And I cared about the relationship she had with her daughter more than vice versa. Um, so I think it, it's deserving of a two. But when there's no surviving characters in Sinister, you can't give it more than a 1, 1.5 maybe, given that the daughter does theoretically survive just in this nether world where she's being, her soul is being feasted on by Bagul, which is interesting in itself. Um, if we're to move on to the settings, House at the End of the Street, the name of the movie is the setting, ultimately. Uh, we have Elizabeth Shue and Jennifer Lawrence's characters moving in a house that they otherwise could not afford, which is actually not unlike what goes on in Sinister. And like in Sinister, the peripheral of the house, what happens outside of the house, just very near outside of the house, is so demonic that it affects what's going on uh, in their own lives and the safety that they have. Because the setting ultimately here in House at the End of the Street is this ginormous, beautiful house that is right outside the house where the murders took place, where uh, the Jacobson daughter killed her parents and Max is now hiding her in the basement there. 
unbeknownst to most people. And he's willing to kill for her. Um, you got the woods there sort of separating them, but they're not very uh, thick. There's not that much of a separation. Beyond that, you get the hospital, you get the school, you get very cliche settings that don't add a lot to what's going on in the house at the end of the street. And uh, I'm not super impressed with it. Even the house in which she was kept, I did like that she's kept in the basement and they have to ultimately open like this uh, door in the floor underneath a carpet to get to her. Okay, not unique in any way though. It wasn't something that I was about to write home about. I thought it was fairly standard in terms of setting and the ambience that was set was mediocre at best. And we're to talk about the setting in Sinister. Again, we have a haunted house, if you will. The only thing that sets it apart is that the house in which a family was murdered is not the house in which the next family can be murdered. So the horrors that take place there must induce enough scare in that family to force them onto another residence where they then can be killed by Bagul and Bagul's tool, child tool. I like that. I like that it really explicitly dealt with setting and the importance of differentiating place. Did it do anything in terms of unique setting and ambience within the film itself beyond that sort of uh, plot point? No, the, the house is not unique. You have his office, which is kind of fun. That's where he's watching all these horrific videos of the families that have been murdered prior. And he's got kind of like a sort of detective wall when he's putting together his new book. Um, and I did like the fact that he was a writer of true crime. You don't see that enough. Uh, but do we see things in terms of setting that we've never seen before? No. I like the way that some of the families were killed in terms of settings. You see things you've never seen before prior to that. You see them subsequently in Scream Queens, but certainly the most affecting one was the family that was half buried into the ground with half of their bodies exposed at the top and the lawnmower is run over them by the possessed child. That was possibly the most affecting scene for me. Um, beyond that, um, the family that is tied to beach chairs then pulled into the pool to drown. Horrible setting piece. What's interesting about this movie is that the kills are really setting-centric and that even the last one, when our daughter of Ethan Hawke kills him and his wife and his son, um, the movie that is then made of it is called House Painting because she takes their blood and paints the house with it. So I do like what they did with space. Do we see any new sort of space? Not really. So if we're to go ahead and give pentagrams to House at the End of the Street, I'm going to have to even drop it to a 1.5 because it wasn't anything that was super unique. And I will give Sinister a 2.5 because it does go above and beyond what is otherwise fairly redundant. Uh, moving on to deeper meanings. And we're to talk about deeper meanings at the house at the end of the street. You certainly can talk about mother-daughter relationships, um, the sort of turmoil and tension between a mother and her daughter dating new guys and who she should be with and that sort of tension because ultimately 
Jennifer Lawrence does fall for Max Thoreau, who is the guy that tries to kill her at the end, that tries to kill his mom at the end. So just the idea of having a daughter who's making the same wrong choices that she made, because ultimately Elizabeth Shue's character was married to a rocker who wasn't around for nine months of the year, wasn't a good father, wasn't a good husband, and she sees her daughter making those same mistakes. I like that deeper meaning. I, I found that interesting, the way that it played out. Beyond that, I think just the fact that we're dealing with uh, mental illness again, as we do in so many horror films. The fact that the little girl was brain damaged, and then she went after her parents, who in a way are brain damaged via their drug addiction. They were not able there to watch her when she did fall off that swing because they were freebasing. Um, it speaks to a lack of uh, familial bonding, and there's really no good example of a family in this movie. Even when they go to the neighbor's house for the pool party, this is ultimately where we meet our sort of rapist character that tries to get on Jennifer Lawrence later in the film, and her mother, who is just super obnoxious, and you can see why her son became as horrible as she did through her. Um, so I do think that the, it's really critical of uh, familial ties and how there will be repeated mistakes and ultimately your progeny won't be able to help doing the same blunders that you've done as they move forward. Um, and in Sinister, the deeper meaning there to me has a lot to do with the effect of film on one's mind. The fact that Bagul only lives because he is incarnated through different mediums to me is huge. A lot of people got beef with horror films because and violent video games because they think they are indoctrinating kids. Um, the science is against that, but there is still that uh, emotional sort of drive there that suggests that these sort of scary visuals and motives and characters that are portrayed on screen a la Joker most recently are actually encouraging people to be this way. Uh, one could argue that this film is uh, supportive of that in saying that yes, you watch these sort of horrible things, if you immerse yourself in writing about true crime, you are going to become an alcoholic, you are going to become distant from your kids and your wife and not be able to connect and you're only going to see the sadness and Mr. Boogie is going to take you over. He's going to ruin you because of that. I think that was what was mainly going on there and just perhaps um, that one should not exploit the horrors that have happened in reality and that there's going to be a toll no matter, no matter what if you do become the Truman Capote right in cold blood are completely suffused or reliant on sadness to make a living, sadness and horror to make that living. I think it was very critical of that. And I do appreciate that. I think it was deeper than what we saw in House at the End of the Street. So in terms of pentagrams, I'm going to go ahead and give House at the End of the Street a 1.5. And we're going to give Sinister a 2.5. Again, I really like Sinister, but I will say that it wasn't as deep as I wanted it to be. It could have been deeper, but I thought it was a great horror film. When we're talking about Fright Factor and House at the End of the Street, I wasn't scared enough. There are a few kills. We have the cop die. We have the two parents die via the mentally deranged daughter. 
Beyond that, nobody dies, so we have a kill count of three. Uh, the quality of kills is lacking. Can't go wrong with a, a hammer to the head scene. And we do see that with the mother more than the father um, when the young girl kills her parents. But it's not like a Texas chainsaw sort of situation. It's not scary in any ways. I was not scared by her character. Even when she becomes older, she's locked in the basement by her brother. She's not scary. I am not worried about her getting loose, even though she does get loose multiple times in the film. It's not enough to really get me caring and like worried for our protagonist, especially given the pseudo-shallow nature of our protagonists. Beyond the quality of kills, if we were to talk about the music and sound design, I thought it was halfway decent. In-house at the end of the street, not anything super iconic in terms of the scariest scene. Like, I hate to say it, but it was the moment where she's almost about to be raped. It felt like a Brett Kavanaugh moment, the way he just pinned her down on the bed. Thankfully, unlike Kavanaugh, uh, she was able to get out of it a little bit quicker and hopefully less scarring than uh, what was seen in that reality. So that was scary, but it certainly didn't have that same sort of horror impact. It was certainly more dramatic in a sense. Um, in terms of Sinister, every single death scene of the previous families that were killed by the influence of Bagul by Mr. Boogie was impacting. The least impacting one was probably the fire, because you don't see that as viscerally. However, being hung from the trees, and as noted with the... Uh, their faces being lawn mowed, even the neck slices really hit home in terms of horror and scare factor and the way Ethan Hawke was able to sell how much it was impacting him. I bought, I thought was great. And to be honest with you, as noted before, I wish I'd seen Sinister in the theater because it scared me that much. It definitely spooked me, and supernatural stuff normally does not spook me. But I will say that this one hit a note. It, it hit, a, hit, hit a spot that I wasn't expecting it to hit. I was expecting more of a insidious sort of PG-13 vibe. But this was hard R. This was hard R that was unrelenting with some great performances some really great motives from our ensemble making them want to steep themselves in this horror and mr boogie himself was scary bagul took that ghost face concept to the umph degree so when we're talking about giving them out panograms i would go ahead and give fright factor for house at the end of the street a 1.5 again i know i've been kind of cruel to it but it was really mediocre horror given the amount of money that it made and i'm gonna go ahead and give a proper proper three to sinister because it got me more than i ever anticipated it getting me so the bell has rung ladies and gentlemen as it turns out in the year 2012 the most iconic horror film mainstream horror film that is that was released that year was sinister starring ethan hawk and I want to applaud this film for really knocking my socks off and bringing me to places I had not anticipated it bringing me, forcing me to watch it through 
in a way that other horror films haven't done for a minute. Um, and being a horror film that I want to watch again. I want to see this again in the, in the relatively near future in the way that I, I haven't for a lot of the other ones that I've been watching this month. So I'm going to give it credit. Sinister was scary. I'm going to watch the sequel because it was, it was that scary. Um, so I thank you for listening to this podcast. If you want to support it, please go to my media hub, parasociable.com. That's spelled P-A-R-A-S-O-C-I-A-B-L-E.com. There you'll find some horror comedy shorts, as well as my novel about the dream recording industry, as well as some music that I've made with my band Computactyl. Um, But until the next time, as they say in the business, the bell has rung.